I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about Marsha P. Johnson. So grab your transgender rights. And let's get civical. gonna say hi i'm gonna say it i'm gonna say it don't you watch out because i'm gonna say hello okay one two three hello hello hi everyone guys we're back we're back this is let's get civical i'm lizzie stewart and i'm arden walentowski and today you guys you're gonna freak today we have a guest I mean, I wouldn't even say you're like a guest. We have a member of the family on the show. Yeah, additional member of the family on the show. Yes. Our amazing our amazing intern Houston Watson is joining us. Yeah. He's gonna join us today. Hi, Houston. Hi, Lizzie. Hi, Arden. Hi. 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 <laughs> we we miss being in a physical space with you so much. Miss you guys <laughs> no. too. 
But here we are virtually. It's amazing. Um, And the reason why, I mean, not the reason why, but Houston came up with this amazing idea to do a biopic episode on Marsha P. Johnson. And so it just made sense that we all hop on a Zoom. Yay. Yes. Talk about her and her amazing life, legacy, all of it. Yeah. And it it ties into what we were talking about. You know, we talked about the Civil Rights Act last week. Yeah. And now we can tie it all together with Pride Month and really, you know, talk about all of the issues, especially since today of all days, Lizzie, you guys, Houston, really... The pulse on the nose, the finger, finger on the nose. on the pulse, people. Pulse of the public. Pulse on SCOTUS. We're recording this, what, two hours after SCOTUS hours. ruled that gay and trans people can no longer just be fired for being gay and trans. Yeah. That they have civil rights. Hey, have under the Civil, civil Rights, rights Act the, that we covered last week. Under the Civil week. Rights Act. Yep. Under Title Seven so cool. of the Civil Rights Act. It's That's insane. So cool. It's insane. I mean, yes, this is where, like, you know, obviously it seems like a coordinated effort between us and SCOTUS. It's not. <laughs> but Although it, RBG it, did call last night and was like, hey. Sonia called me. RBG called you. Sonia yeah. was like, Lizzie, <laughs> honey, this you're going to freak out. <laughs> if you're not doing an episode on, on trans rights, you should because it's yep. going to really line up for you. Yeah. And then I said, Sonia, I love you so much, and everything that you do is makes me, you're the wind beneath my wings. And then she said, Lizzie, stop crying. And I said, okay. And that was, you know, and then she hung up. And That's so funny. It was amazing. All, all RBG said was, she just told me to lift heavier. And I... Yes. She was okay. like, Arden, your form, not what it Pad. could be. No, lift not heavier. Not what it could be. But yeah, yeah. The SCOTUS, SCOTUS announced today a landmark decision. We're going to give just a couple of quick little little things to chew on from that because it really does tie into Marsha and the work that she did um, and still inspires to do. But it was another one of those decisions where they combined cases. So the three cases that were combined for this decision were Bostock v. Clayton County, Altitude Express, Inc., the Zarda and RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. So again, it's like it's like the gerrymandering situation where we have three cases and they're like, you know what? Let's wrap this into one. Wrap them all together. They're all about the same thing. People being people. People being, people, being people. It's crazy. So this little tidbit is coming from NPR via Nina Totenberg. And so she wrote, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled Monday today that the 1964 Civil Rights Act barring sex discrimination in the workplace protects LGBTQ employees for being fired because of their sexual orientation. The vote was 6-3 with conservatives Chief Justice John Roberts and Neil Gorsuch joining the court's four liberal justices in the majority. And yes. so, which we love, twinkles to to our to our swinger Roberts and who knows what's going on with Neil. Um, Thank you for saying swingers in a court case about gays. Continue. Okay. Look, 
Thank you. Well, you couldn't just, let that go by. Come on. I know. I like you. This is why you're here is to call me out when I say things like that. That was so good. That was so good. Amazing that Chief Justice John Roberts really on this one was like, I got to be on the right side of history here. I spent all of the impeachment case, the impeachment hearing just laying down. And now I'm really going to like come back. Yeah, really hands off in that. What's really so I started reading the I read some of the opinion and some of the dissent just to kind of get a grasp. It's 170 pages, but it moves. (laughs) And kind of iconically, Neil Gorsuch delivers the opinion of this. And Brett Kavanaugh delivers the dissent. Oh, my God. Which is what was John up to? That's so, I mean, but it, giving Gor- giving Gorsuch actually the opinion to write is really smart because then the concert, like so. it's a conservative, the conservatives are really taking a stand as it were. And yes. I really, but more than like Gorsuch, Gorsuch's opinion, I want to read Kavanaugh's dissent. Well, I'm so glad you said that. Um, so it, <laughs> <laughs> so I have two quotes here and I'll, oh. again, I've, I've, I've given a I've given a preliminary skim to both because the great thing about SCOTUS decisions and uh, opinions and dissents is that they pretty much say their argument at the top and then spend the entire eighty pages below supporting that argument. Do you know what they went to really good colleges for a reason? Lay That's out what Yale your does. thesis. That's, That's what, what Yale, Yale does. does for you. They teach so you Lizzie how to write a paper. So Lizzie doesn't have to read all 172 pages in a two-hour span before she no. hops on a podcast. I can really get the top and the bottom and then read the rest when I have the time. But so Neil Gorsuch, his, the opinion, I guess, it's not just his, but it's the reason why he's in the majority is because his argument is that when Congress made the 1964 Civil Rights Act and this specific section of it where it says, you know, you can't discriminate based on race, religion, uh, blah, 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 sex, you know, like they don't mm-hmm. describe what sex is. No. Like there's no, it's it's a completely ambiguous word. Yeah. And so when you think, li- like when you take such a literal approach to it, which is sex, meaning like it's just, it's sex. Sex can be, you know male female so like yeah. if you don't have the the descriptive framing words in there of like sex man and woman whatever whatever yeah. then you can't argue what isn't there right which are those qualifying terms so mm. our literal baby gotcha. boy comes in and is like literally it's not here your argument's not here they kept it vague and this is the ramifications of it being vague which i'm like neil Go in. And then, of course, baby Kavanaugh comes in and he's like, he takes the approach of, you know, the judiciary shouldn't be legislating, uh, which is basically like Congress should be the one who's coming up with this legislation, not us, thus the court. But he has a really interesting quote at the end of his thing that I think is interesting. But let me, this is what Gorsuch says in the opinion, just kind of as like a soundbite. Yeah. So he writes, in Title VII, Congress adopted broad language, making it illegal for an employer to rely on an employee's sex when deciding to fire that employee. We do not hesitate to recognize today 
a necessary consequence of that legislative choice. An employer who fires an individual merely for being gay or transgender defies the law. And I just, I mean, great. Yep. Yeah. Then in the dissent that I found interesting, again, Kavanaugh spends the whole time basically making the argument that, honestly, John Roberts made in the gerrymandering case, which is we shouldn't be deciding this, punt it to Congress to make this decision. But yet oh, now, <laughs> that's literally what, that's the argument yeah. that Kavanaugh is making, is that is that this is not us. Right. That it's it's like Congress has in the past attempted to make legislation about this. And because of that, which I think is a f- kind of a fair argument, because Congress has attempted this legislation, you can assume that that means that in this act of the Civil Rights Act, that it wasn't in, that wasn't included in it, like transgender protections, LGBTQ protections, because Congress right. has attempted to legislate. And I'm like, I hear you. Sit down. But anyways, right. what I found interesting... At the end of his thing, which I'm going to read, he makes this statement. So after supporting all of that, he says this. Notwithstanding my concern about the court's transgression of the Constitution's separation of powers, it is appropriate to acknowledge the important victory achieved today by gay and lesbian Americans. Millions of gay and lesbian Americans have worked hard for many decades to achieve equal treatment in fact and in law. They have exhibited extraordinary vision tenacity and grit, battling often steep odds in the legislative and judicial arenas, not to mention their daily lives. They have advanced powerful policy arguments and can take pride in today's result. Under the Constitution's separation of powers, however, I believe that it was Congress's role, not this court's, to amend Title VII. Therefore, I must respectfully dissent from the court's judgment. That's his final statement. That's such bullshit. I know. I'm just like... (laughs) Brett, <laughs> Brett, honey, you can't be like, look, I know how big this is. I still think it's wrong, but oh my God, <laughs> so big, so big. This is the wrong decision. The best for you, my gays, the gays, they've worked so hard. They've worked so hard. And if I had it my way, you wouldn't have won, but you've worked so hard. And I'm just like, Brett, but it's, it's, yeah, it's like such a spineless um thing to do if you would have put clarence thomas on this he would have been like this is not our job period no apology yeah that's what he would have said no like no like qualification no qualification but i also feel like he's if if your job is not to interpret the laws of congress and say you know and and to read a law that congress has passed and to say it applies to you it doesn't apply to you it applies in this case. It doesn't apply in this case. What is your job? Like, what are you doing right. there? Yeah, like, I, I to a thinking. certain extent, I understand. I don't agree with Chief Justice John Roberts saying, you know, gerrymandering. The, that's a you know, Congress has to tackle that first. Right. Like, I, it's a cop out. Like, personally, I think it's a cop out. But there is a, an argument there to be said. Like, we're, you know, what, what how are we going to judge all of the laws across the 50 states? We could do that. Is that our job? But what, you know, whatever. But here you have a literal law of Congress and their job is to interpret what that means. Right. Yeah. I do think it's important that it's a six, three decision and not. Yes. Five, four and not five, four. Yeah. Either way, 
you know? Yeah. If it had been 5-4 uh, yeah. and it had been overturned. That would have, yeah. That would have been <laughs> bad. Well, and you're also talking about, you know, not, what, three days ago, the Trump administration ruled, you know, to took away medical protections for transgender patients. And it's like, right. to have all of those things in a row, it would have been, it just, I don't know. I feel like this... I agree with the court's decision, not just because, like, I believe that you can't fire somebody because they're LGBTQ or trans, but because I think that the the opinion is correct and that they they didn't define what sex means because because they didn't need, you know, it's like it's this is this is a win. (laughs) I mean, bless them back in 1964. They I'm sure that's not what they meant it to apply to. That's no, like, not even a little that's bit. That's not what they meant. Right. It was interesting in reading um, the opinion, Gorsuch's opinion, is one of the arguments that he makes that he's talking about that the the folks who were trying to, you know, justify firing based on the people's sexual orientation, preferences, identities, etc. Um, they were arguing that the attorneys on their behalf were arguing that, you know, people like trans people like that wasn't really a thing in 1964 like so how could that how could that be what congress intended it to be if those people weren't there and gorsuch is in his opinion is like actually they were there and we can look directly at Marsha for those sorts of things it's Mm -hmm. like that actually this community did exist so you can't make that argument because it, they did exist and they were there. Did Congress mean for them to be the people that were also protected? We don't know. But because they were vague, that's a consequence. You know, and right. I don't like the word consequence, but he uses it a lot. I think because uh, he does mean it. That it is a consequence is that you get to protect more people when you are as vague as just a word. And then he defines the word sex many times. I'm just like, oh, my God. Neil. Woo! Anyways, guys, read the decision. Read it. Read the dissent. Make your own decision. But I feel like I just, I'm so glad we didn't, this episode would have been so, I would have been so upset going into this episode if this came a different way. Yes. I also would have been uh, (laughs) upset if we recorded this episode and then the the decision came out like tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, they've been taking their time with these like i mean i know they yeah. released them in june but i'm like mid-june guys i mean time's almost up here like let's but get I them out like, i feel like this is usually when like this kind of this kind of stuff generally trickles out yeah maybe just because didn't gay like, marriage come like going. about now it was like about now or like the third week of june that gay marriage came out mm. look you I may think. be right i just wanted it for a long time i know okay Okay. okay. I hear you. So with that said, with that monologue about the SCOTUS case said, let's jump in to Marsha. So I'm so excited. What, I know. I mean, it's when did you guys learn about Marsha? Like when did she come into your consciousness? It's I when I saw her picture, I was like, oh yes, I've heard of her before. I know right. who she is. But aside from that, I know very little about her and so yeah i just i was really i I, i'm just i'm very excited to learn more about her life yeah houston what about you when did you become aware of marcia um i think when i read street theater 
uh, by Doric mm. Wilson in uh, Theater Histories 2, junior mm. year. So you, yeah. you learned her in school? Nice. Yeah. Well, college. Was it primary or was it co- oh, it was college? Yeah. 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 We took a... Yeah. I'm a playwriting screenwriting major, so I had to take Theater Histories, and one of the things we covered is different kind like how theater affects different kind of communities um and like what that theater is about and so for uh the late 1900s we read uh street theater by dork wilson which is about uh the stonewall riots um so cool yeah yeah that's awesome yeah no it was really cool and it's one of my favorite plays too so love that i that's that was what was interesting to me about researching marcia because for me you know it it was a similar situation of it probably wasn't until college and it definitely wasn't in any educational setting it was going to pride and seeing it's like it's like you see her image first you know the famous image of her in the pink dress and the head and the headpiece you know yeah that's like the like the most famous picture of her and you see that everywhere especially at pride so i remember seeing that first and then the information about her kind of came in like small pieces i mean obviously i know way more now after doing this research and i could say i've learned much more about her than i probably ever would but it was also hard you're going to see in these notes there's so many sources it was like piecing together her life um, from different sources um, mm. because obviously you have like, you know, her early life, you have her activism, you have the the craziness surrounding her, her death um, and, and then the legacy portion of it. And it's all like, it was interesting seeing how a lot of well-respected places that I cite on here, they're all saying pretty much the same couple of sound bites about her um and you see these 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 phrases these descriptors about her a lot um so she still i feel like even now remains this kind of like enigma figure but is also at the same time so so like uh, such an image of of you know a, a lgbtq trans civil rights movement and is also not taught in any school setting <laughs> under college yeah. No. Which is crazy to me that Marsha isn't even, like, mentioned when talking about, you know, civil rights and and LGBTQ movements uh, in an educational setting. So that's a lot to say. And I feel like I'm just going to jump into her early life, which is basically pre... It's just a couple of facts about her... Um, kind of before she really we really get into like Stonewall and and all that which is where I feel like her profile takes off is after the Stonewall Stonewall riots. So, this uh section of notes is coming from blackpass.org, Washington and the Washington Post, Jillian Bruckell. So, thank you to both of those. So, Marsha was the fifth of seven children. She was born Malcolm Michaels Jr. to Malcolm Michaels Sr. and Alberta Michaels on August 24th, 1945 in Elizabeth, New Jersey, just over the bridge. 
She began, this is one of the facts that you see all the time across news, like, you know, research outlets is she began experimenting with women's clothing at age five, but would stop due to teasing. Everything says that, which I'm, it's crazy. Then after graduating from Thomas A. Edison High School in 1963, Johnson moved to New York's Greenwich Village. She had $15 and a bag of clothes. Homeless, she turned to sex work to survive and soon found a like-minded community and the body nightlife of Christopher Street. This is all coming from blackpast.org. Love the phrase body nightlife. Oh my God. Right. I feel like now it's body, but like it's a different kind of body. It's different. I don't, it's different. I, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any part of New York that is even close to resembling what Christopher Street in the 60s no. was. No, because even if you go to, like, Marie's Crisis, it's, like, <laughs> it's full of Tish students singing Broadway. It's not. Right. It's, it's not, not body. It's not body. Oh, my God. Anti-body. <laughs> it's not annoying. Body. Yeah. Yeah, it's annoying. That's what it is. It's annoying. Johnson switched names repeatedly as she established her persona alternating between her given name, Malcolm, and Black Marsha before settling on Marsha P. Johnson. She chose Johnson because she enjoyed hanging out at a popular eatery, Howard Johnson's. And the P perfectly stand for pay it no mind, a flippant yes. saying she used to dismiss antagonists. Oh, yeah, God. So Marsha, pay it no mind, Johnson. God, love it. I know. This next part uh this next fact is coming from the washington post and i included it just to talk about how she identified herself because it is would probably be different in these contexts and today's context because we have more words available but this is what she described herself to be the word transgender which describes people whose gender identity does not correspond to their sex assigned at birth was not used at the time Johnson referred to herself using female pronouns, she, her, and at times described herself as gay, a queen, a drag queen, and a transvestite. So just a little tidbit about how she saw herself, because I think now, because we have more words available to us to describe humans and how they identify, it might be different, but that's what she identified herself as. Or even like we use these words, I feel like in a different way. Like, yeah, I don't. I was watching um, last a couple weeks ago. I was watching Tu Wong Fu. It's a fantastic movie if you haven't seen it. Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything. It's Patrick Swayze and John Leguizamo and Wesley Snipes, and they're all they refer to them in the movie as drag queens, except that they're they do drag. But they also, that's also how they live their life. So they're like, they don't, they don't live as, as men in the, in the, I mean, like it opens with them getting dressed, but when they go, they go on this road trip basically, and they get stuck in a small town and it's about them basically like being transgender, except that that's not how they handle the situation. And they, they refer to themselves as drag queens. And I mean, it's a movie from the 90s. So it's just interesting to see how these words have changed. Because that's not how like that's not how we would categorize. That's not what we would use that term for now. Right. Like, I feel like a drag queen is very much somebody who, like, does drag. Right. Well, and there's also, I mean, 
there is like a, a little bit of tension between the drag community and the trans community. I mean, For I think sure. Yeah. You know, I think who RuPaul came out and mm-hmm. and said th- that trans women aren't a part of the drag community and that it's it's reserved for men who dress up as women not men who identify as women you know um Mm -hmm. or at birth men who you know are born at birth men but um but yeah so there is so that's interesting you know because i think in this time of Marsha, there was such a fluidity between the two and it was just it was very much like the 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 communities weren't necessarily formed yet they were just like okay you you are are like me and that you don't there's something different about how we feel you know and um and it was just i think a more in in that time perhaps a little bit more accepting in that way although also i think that there was tension between just like your your reg not regular but your lgbt's um or your lgb's i guess and trans because That'll, I'll talk about it later, but yeah, there's no, tension that's, there. That was, there's definitely a thing. I think there's still some tension there. I mean, it's yeah. smaller. It gets smaller and smaller, but I think there's still right. tension there. Right. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus. During Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. But Arden, tell us about the Stonewall Riots. Oh my god. Okay, the 1969 Stonewall Riots. This is coming from History.com, BlackPast.org, and British Vogue. I'm so sorry. Honey, I'm pulling <laughs> quotes. I'm pulling quotes. I'm t- that's what British I'm saying. It's like it was Vogue. like piecing together. 
Because oh, you oh learn so much about these things and you're like, where can I find a source that backs up this thing I learned just like on the streets of New York? You know? Right. So that's why it's right. kind of like, it's the same thing with Marsha. It's just like, I know, I know facts about her, her like death. Where can I find that in the written word from right, a right, substantiated right. source? So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, sure. enjoy British Vogue. I think it's like one quote from British Vogue, so Oh my God, I'm so go. excited. Okay. <laughs> uh, so from history.com, the Stonewall Riots, also known as the Stonewall Uprising, began in the early hours of June 28, 1969, when New York City police raided the Stonewall Inn, a gay club located in Greenwich Village in New York City. The raid sparked a riot among bar patrons and neighborhood residents as police roughly hauled employees and patrons out of the bar leading to six days of protests and violent clashes with law enforcement outside the bar on Christopher Street, in neighboring streets, and in neighbor and in nearby Christopher Park. At the time, New York City was not giving liquor licenses to gay bars and clubs, and that is what allowed the police to enter Stonewall without a warrant. Just a little aside. Which, a little you know. aside. Have you been to Stonewall? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Houston, oh, well. I've been in front of it, but I haven't, like, seen it. I went to a uh, Pride uh, march two or three years ago, I think, um, mm-hmm. and we marched past the bar, and it's pretty cool. Like nice, it's cool it's really, to see. Yeah, it's really cool. Inside, it feels like. I mean, it th- like being inside, it does kind of make you travel back in time because you're like, yeah. oh, this is. It's like dark and small. It's so it's, small. That's what it's like, so small. It's ti- Even from the outside, it's like, oh my god. Yeah. It's and, it, you, and then you just you think about like how it was such an oasis to this community. They wanted this small piece of space. Yeah. You know, and it was so violated. This tiny bar that was theirs. Yeah. It's anyway. uh small and covered in. I mean, you walk in and it's like you take a breath and you're like, okay, I am intoxicated now. It's so yes. like, <laughs> covered in every kind of alcohol and I'm sure bodily fluid there is absolutely possible. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> it is a gay bar. During the riots, Marsha P. Johnson became one of the faces of the queer revolution. She went from her own party uptown to the Stonewall Inn on the corner of Christopher Street and 7th Avenue arriving after the Stonewall Riot uprising had begun. This is uh, also from blackpast.org. She's often given credit that she threw the first brick at the riots. However, this has been proven to be untrue. However, it doesn't diminish her role in these riots. Yeah, there's, for some reason, people, like, argue about this, of if she was the first person to make it, you know, to, to riot. And in actuality, she probably wasn't the first person to, like, throw a brick, which is, it's for some reason, it's a brick, you know, or a yeah. shot glass, like, it's, you know, to throw something. Right. But she was definitely, according to the research that I've done, one of the first, if not the first people to resist the police officers. And mm. basically, from day one, through all of these riots, was there leading the charge. So... I just wanted to include that because I feel like when people argue the point of if she was the first person to throw the brick or not, it's like we're trying to argue like, oh, well, was she as significant as we're making her out to be? And it's like, yes, yes. She could have thrown the third brick and it would have been great. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It would be great. I feel like the first 10 bricks. Right. Legacy. (laughs) Legacy. Let's not nitpick here. She was there at the beginning of it. 
Yeah, and she was important to yeah. everyone else. Yeah, everybody rallied behind her. Yeah, she was and the I'm leader, like, so it doesn't it doesn't matter really, I guess, how she claimed the leadership role. Right. Just that she was a leader. Right. According to Johnson, the police had forced her and others out onto the street to line up and be frisked the night before. They were they were fighting against police brutality of their community. That's what it was. Yeah. You know? No, Everything sure. we're seeing right now, it's like, it's almost like, it's like holding a mirror up to the Stonewall riots. They were the first ones to really, not the first ones, but they, this was what, in New York, this riot was really about, was the brutality that the police were committing on this community constantly. Yeah, and they, well, I read this in the play, but they would pose as people who are looking to hook up and then yeah. arrest gay people in like bathrooms and bars and they had to like meet a quota um and it's just it's really bad yeah yeah, yeah. no it's definitely yeah i mean i think that's why it's it's interesting to me that the stonewall riot i mean that's what they're known for is the stonewall riots were riots uh, against the police um yeah. And it's interesting to me now that we have such a, like now Stonewall Inn is like a, it's a national landmark. You know, there was a big unveiling of like the senators and, you know, like, and it's interesting to me that something that, I mean, like she could have never imagined. No. Like whether she threw the first brick or not, like that, you know, fighting against the police in this moment that later, A, that she would be elevated, and B, that the Stonewall Inn would be a place of, it would be like a Mecca. Right. Well, you and know? also, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later and sort of like what the legacy of Marsha is, is that even after, I mean, there was sort of a, we'll talk about it, the, the gay rights movement and the LGBTQ movement like begins after Stonewall. But really, like, for personally, Marsha, it's not, it's not like Marsha suddenly is, like, a well-respected activist. She's still, right. you know, hustling and, and still having to do sex work to survive. So it's, it's, it's not like there was this, I don't think at any point in her life, really, I mean, maybe a little bit towards the end, did she see any kindness from what she went through? Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And of course, now we'll talk about the things that are being done now to honor her like that. I mean, I, it would, I imagine it would be insane yeah. considering how people were treating her at the time of her death. So keep going. 23-year-old Johnson and her friend Sylvia Rivera were caught up in the Stonewall Uprisings, which went on for several days and is credited as the catalyst for the gay movement of the late 1960s. Yeah, Sylvia Rivera, everybody should also research her. Her and Marsha are credited as, like, the beginners of this movement. Not to be missed. Not to be missed. The uprising spawned the first gay pride marches across the country in 1970. In the same year, Johnson and Rivera founded Street Transvestite Action Revolutionaries, also known as STAR. God bless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What an acronym. Love that acronym. It's so good. <laughs> and so, like, like it just makes you feel like it's a star it's shiny it's bright it's like it just feels very it's a good name pride-esque you know it just feels very pride-esque star clothed fed housed and advocated for transgender youth from a tenement on the lower east side 
They were 24 years old when they established this. Or at least Marsha was 24 years old. That's crazy. When they did this. She was 23 during Stonewall. What are we doing? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Keep going. I keep interrupting you. I just am... Yes. No, it's okay. It's okay. Say your piece. (laughs) While being interviewed for a book in 1972, Johnson said her ambition was, quote, to see gay people liberated and free and to have equal rights that other people have in America, close quote, with her, quote, gay brothers and sisters out of jail and on the streets again, close quote. That's from British Vogue. Yay. Yeah. In 1972, as the face of the resistance, Johnson performed around the world with the popular drag theater company Hot Peaches. Oh, my God. What a name. Yeah. Yeah, It's amazing. That's so good. Andy Warhol featured her in a 1975 screen print portfolio of drag queens and transgender merrymakers at the nightclub Gilded Grape. So that's when Andy Warhol did his his piece, this piece that we're that we're talking about. That's kind of what put her like that's what like really catapulted her into being a, a widely known face of this movement. Because mm-hmm. you have Andy Warhol, who, you know, at this point, anything he does, everybody's like, oh, my God, a can of soup. Who knew? You know, um, <laughs> Art. <laughs> So, um, yeah, that that's when you really start seeing Marsha's uh, sort of national and even international notoriety really start to, to soar. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's not Stonewall. Houston, you want to tell us about the activism that happened? Yeah. So this section is coming from NSWP.org and ActUpNewYork.com. Okay. So, street transvestite action revolutionaries. Star started <laughs> yeah. following in a sit-in at Weinstein's Hall in New York University in 1970. The sit-in was to protest school administrators canceling a dance because it was sponsored by a gay organization. The sit-in brought together many gay groups, including Gay Liberation Front and Radical Lesbian. They were successful in regaining the venue for the dance. Sylvia and Marsha saw that the needs of street youth and transgender youth were not being taken into account. By other early gay groups, they founded STAR to fill this gap. So this is what they founded after the riots. They founded STAR. They founded STAR. So this is, yeah, this is, so this is just what STAR is. I was like, well, if you're going to, if they found something, let's learn about what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I didn't know so, anything about this. Yeah, me either. Me either. No, I because had no idea. Nobody teaches us. Nobody teaches us anything these days. Oh, that's what we're here for. Anyways, that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. <laughs> we're here, we're trying our best. So Star opened their first Star House in a park trailer truck in a Greenwich Village parking lot later that year. It functioned as a shelter and social space for trans sex workers and other LGBT street youth. However, the pair arrived one day to find the trailer was being towed, with as many as 20 youth still sleeping inside. Oh my god. Yeah. That's terrible. Oh yeah. Uh, This experience made them decide to find a more permanent home for Star House. So... Sylvia and Marsha paid the rent on the building by doing street sex work at night. 
They hoped to use the top floor of the building to teach the youth how to read and write during the daytime. So, like, imagine, imagine these two women are going and, and selling their bodies so that they can pay for a building for transgendered youth to live in and also hopefully teach them how to read and write. Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. Like, it's unreal what these two women did. Wow. Star House was many firsts. It was the first LGBT youth center in North America. It was the first trans woman of color led organization in the USA. And it was the first trans sex worker labor organization. Star later expanded to other cities before eventually collapsing in the mid 1970s. It has recently been revived in New York City. So that's Star. And the next one we're going to talk about or that Houston's going to read about um, is not one that Marsha founded, but that she was really active in, in sort of the later years of her life. So just a little preface on that, but go ahead, Houston. So AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power or ACT UP. ACT UP was formed in response to social neglect, government negligence, and the complacency of the medical establishment during the 1980s. Soon, it found itself needing to fight corporate greed, lack of solidarity, and various forms of stigma and discrimination at home and abroad. ACT UP fights for sustained investment in research and new medicines and treatments for HIV, AIDS, and related co-infections. Equitable access to prevention and care for HIV AIDS and healthcare in general, tackling the structural drivers of HIV AIDS epidemic, such as stigma, discrimination, and poverty. Marshall was an early member of ACT UP and in 1992 announced that she had been HIV positive since 1990. Wow. Yeah. So the, what everything that Houston just read about um, ACT UP or the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, this is all from their website. The first bit is their mission statement, and then the second bit was obviously what ACT UP stands for. It's still an organization that exists today. Please check it out, donate, support it. Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as when it goes, when it comes to talk about Marsha's activism, it definitely extends to the AIDS epidemic. Yep. Because that's just what she did. So I just wanted to, it's hard, like, I don't. It's hard to talk about Marsha without talking about her death and the circumstances surrounding that. So I wanted to just give a quick little section to it, although I do want the focus more to be what she did during her life, because I think that is what really keeps us going. Um, But it's also, you know, she was she died because of who she was, and that has to be acknowledged as well. So this next section about her death is, again, coming from blackpast.org, as well as biography.com and NBC News. So on July 6th, 1994, six days after being reported missing, Johnson was found drowned in the Hudson River off the West Village Piers. She was 46 years old. The police ruled that she had committed suicide, despite claims from her friends and other members of the local community saying that she was not suicidal. 25 years later, Victoria Cruz, a crime victim advocate of the New York City Anti-Violence Project, reopened the case. 
So one of the things about this was that she had a, a wound on her head and the cops were like, suicide, done. Right. And it, they made that decision so quickly. And what this is covered really extensively in the Netflix documentary, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson, which everybody should watch. But it's, there are so many, There, it was such a quick decision to be suicide when there was little to no forensic evidence to support this. And so, continuing on with the notes, the ruling was changed from suicide to undetermined in 2002. And 10 years later, the case was reopened as a possible homicide and remains open. So Marsha's death has not been solved. I believe the, I think very recently, the the police commissioner apologized for the handling of the case. Of course, this was like in 2018 or 2019. And I'm like, honey, this was in 1994. Yeah, it's a little late for We're that. Apologizing now? Now it would have been 2002. <laughs> like you like you obviously acknowledged the mistake in 2002. Right. Hun. Anyways, so Wow. Again, it was kind of like the, is so recent. It is so recent. Um and it's, you know, when you talk about like right now we have such a an epidemic of, you know, young predominantly black trans members of our community being murdered and those murders going unsolved. It's, it's been happening for so long, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely happened before Marsha, but Marsha, I think was her death was one of the first big, big notor- like ones that had notoriety. Cause of who she was. Cause of who she was. Cause of she was status. known. She was a known person. Right. Yeah. And she was, she was, murdered you know yep possibly air quotes from the from the nypd so that is that is her death but let's move on and talk about her legacy okay this is coming from the marsha p johnson institute newyorkcity.gov and new york parks the mission statement of the marsha p johnson institute this is what it is here's their mission statement the marsha p johnson institute protects and defends the human rights of black transgender people. We do this by organizing, advocating, creating an intentional community to heal, developing transformative leadership, and protecting our collective power. We intend to reclaim Marsha P. Johnson and our relationship as black trans people to her life and legacy. It is in our reclaiming of Marsha that we give ourselves permission to reclaim autonomy to our minds, to our bodies, and to our futures. We were founded both as a response to the murders of black trans women and women of color and how that is connected to our exclusion from social justice issues, namely racial, gender, and reproductive justice, as well as gun violence. So this institute was created only a couple of years ago, and this is their mission statement, obviously. And if you are interested, you can go to marshap.org to learn more, to donate. They definitely need our help. They were... There was a huge rally yesterday in front of the Brooklyn Museum and the Marsha P. Johnson Institute was one of the many uh, co-organizers of that event. And it was like 15,000 people. Amazing work. So that's that's that. Houston, you want to tell us about the monument? So in 2019, it was announced the next She Built NYC monument will honor pioneering transgender activist Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, 
key leaders in the Stonewall Uprising that sparked the gay liberation movement and the modern fight for LGBTQ rights in the U.S. The proposed location for the monument is in Ruth Winterberg Triangle, a prominent public space in the heart of neighborhood landmarks that were essential to LGBTQ history and advocacy, including the Stonewall Inn and St. Vincent's Hospital. And I think the monument is supposed to go up in 2021, although I don't know how coronavirus will play into that. Yeah. And then finally, we have Marsha P. Johnson Park, which was formerly the East River State Park. And this is so recent. So on February 1st, 2020, not a few months ago, Governor Cuomo renamed the park in honor of Marsha P. Johnson, a transgender woman of color who was a pioneer in the LGBTQ civil rights movement and a prominent figure in the Stonewall Uprising. And so you can visit New York Parks. Um, is it newyorkparks.org? Let me see. It's probably newyorkparks.gov. And you can find details about the park, where it is. And it's just, you know, it's a park and it's her park. But again, it's, you know, these two things happened within the last year. You know, yeah. and, and it's, it's been a slow, it's, I feel like it's been a slow response from legislators and officials alike to recognize and honor the work and this huge sacrifice that not only she, but also Sylvia Rivera and the other brave humans who were a part of this movement, you know, that got us to a place where the Supreme Court of the United States is like, I see you, you don't you shouldn't be discriminated against, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. and that's Marsha. I feel inspired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like somebody, I feel like like Sarah Koenig now needs to tackle the, the murder of Marsha P. Johnson. I feel like that's the next, you know what I mean? Like somebody, yeah. somebody needs, somebody big needs to get on that and push them to solve that. It's really interesting that like, there hasn't been. I mean, the the documentary that I mentioned, the death and life of Marsha P. Johnson, was the was the only place I could find a lot of information of the details surrounding her death. Mm-hmm. I mean, but as far as like new, like you know, the research places that we go to, the places that I listed here, it's always just this very brief little paragraph. It's like the right. same thing. It's like she was found. Uh, drowned in the river the police determined it was a suicide people said no and now it's reopened those are like the only things that are said but you don't really see this expanded you know like investigative journalism investigate yeah 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 i mean i'm sure they're out there but it's it was really hard to find you know it's not like i looked (laughs) and then i was like okay i'm having to piece together so like you know i love true crime yeah like, oh, you yeah. know, I'm all about it. I know where I know where to look. But as far as somebody like taking this... Go ahead. I feel like this should be your um your unemployment project. To solve the murder of Marsha P. Johnson. Do it. Write the podcast about it. Oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> It'd be big. Yeah. That would be that would be a that would be great. I would love that. I would love I mean, it's like, yeah, let's solve it. There's yeah. a whole lot of interesting theories surrounding what could have happened but 
Um, but for more of that, go watch the documentary because you should. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's such a, I mean, obviously, it's such a visceral time in, in what's happening right now. And I think just to see what an impact Marsha has, and I feel like continues to have, and, and it, it grows the impact that she has, Yeah, is is really inspiring. And I hope we get to a point where she's in the textbooks. Because she should be. Yeah, that would be great. That would be... You know? Cause... Like, you just can't deny what happened. They don't really have any LGBTQ history in textbooks. I learned most of it from that theater class. Um, yeah. And it really should be. There should be... There should be a whole unit. Yes. Yeah. That, honestly, <laughs> if, if, if I could just be allowed to redesign America's education system... I think we would be in such a better place we, because we you know what be. I did. I learned how to dissect a cat, but I didn't learn about Marsha P. Johnson. That's insane. That's insane. <laughs> that really, I learned rather... how to open up a cat, a cat. <laughs> they'd rather us become grade. serial killers. They'd rather us become serial killers than gay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, they had serial killers in the Bible. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. They must be good if they're in the Bible. That's true. (laughs) But but that's our episode for today. Uh, We are obviously continuing on, you know, putting out episodes that are looking at the issue of civil rights, human rights, all of those things. So we will continue doing that. It's also Pride Month, so obviously happy Pride Month. And, you know, we love you. Houston, thank you for joining us today. Yes. Thank you for having me. It was great. I love talking about Marsha. So I mean, That's yeah, so Marsha's just the best. Marsha's the best to talk about, and we love talking with you because you are the wind beneath our wings, for sure. But, mm-hmm. guys, you know that we love you so, so much. If you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. You can rate us. You can review us. You can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much. And we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye. Bye.